Welcome to the Paranormal Pendle podcast, coming to you from the heart of Pendle Witch Country in the northwest of England. My name is Craig Bryant, author, investigator, and collector of stories. Join me as we take a journey into the paranormal, UFO sightings, cryptozoology, and big cats. This is the Paranormal Pendle podcast. Welcome to episode 42 of Paranormal Pendle, broadcasting to the Paranormal UK Network at paukradio.com. And for those um, who've got uh, eagle eyes or eagle ears, whichever way you look at it, I've actually got the the episode number right this time. Um, the last episode I did with uh, with Gary Jones, I actually mentioned that, uh, that it was the wrong um, episode number. So I've got the right episode number. We are definitely on number 42. Um, so yeah, my guest on this episode is, is actually a, a returning guest. Um, great guest the first time around, really looking forward to chatting to him again. Um, author and researcher Richard Rockby. Um, Richard has written a, a best selling book, The Lights Upon the Hills, uh, about the Burton Dasset UFO event of 1923. And he's, um, I'm talking to him today because really he's got some updated research. Uh, and we're also going to have a chat about a few other subjects as well, hopefully. So, Richard, it's absolutely great to have you back. Thanks for coming back on again. Yeah, good evening, Craig. Thanks very much for asking me. No problem. Can I just ask what the weather's like where you are? Because it's absolutely freezing cold here, and we've had a bit of snow, and it's all very frosty, and it's uh, beginning to look a lot like Christmas, as they say. It is, yeah. So it's um, it's it's bright, but it's cold, but bright here. So we have the best of both worlds. We've had a bit of sun. Yeah, a bit of frost on the ground, but um, cold and and fresh. Uh, yeah, it's, ne- it's nearly at that C word, isn't it? But um, it I, is. I tend to I tend to push mine back as close as possible to the actual day. <laughs> <laughs> Bar humbug, I know everyone's shouting, but uh, that's the oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think I'm becoming more um, uh, more enamoured by Christmas the older I get. I, I seem to go <laughs> the opposite way to most people. I've been. I've been badgering uh, Mrs. Bryant to put the Christmas tree up for the last one. So, <laughs> right. um, I, think well, it, I think it's going up this weekend, so I'm looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, there's no law against it, so you, 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 you get your tree up whenever you want. <laughs> there is no, although I do tend to shout at uh, houses that have got, have got them up in uh, November. <laughs> anyway, we, uh, we digress. Let's talk about your book, um, The Lights Upon the Hills, the Burton Dassett UFO events. What's the what's the 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 crux of the story then? What what happened back in nineteen twenty three? Yeah, so um, well, yeah, a bit a bit of background. I I originally uh, wrote the book um during COVID. I was I was I worked through COVID. I was a COVID. I was a police officer, but um in the downtime, <laughs> I uh, I managed to produce uh, this this book, which was going to be an article for the um the great outer limits magazine but um it was uh viewed by uh philip mantle who suggested uh to make a book out of it flying this press so we uh so i did that um in 2019 and and uh, got it pu- published through flying flying this press in 20, uh, november 2020 um and i was really pleased with it and i got really good reception uh really uh, surprised really at the reception it got and I was on the um the podcast such as yourselves a great podcast such as yourselves and then America and uh, yeah got really good um response um but I always felt I could have put more into it 
um, and there was there was other um, research I could do, and I felt that uh, you know, hundred years from the event, uh, there might be something um, which may happen, which would be worth writing about. So I, I decided um, when I retired a couple of years ago that I would I would rewrite the book and update it, um, which is uh, what I've done now. So it's now twice the size as it was. Uh, new research, fresh research for me. I also got uh, managed to get access to uh, Dr. David Clark's Spook Lights paper, which is very helpful. So I managed to get all that in and and, and put it into a new updated book, which I which I've now published um, on on Amazon. So I've self published it now on Amazon. Okay. But the the, the initial story uh, started sort of February, uh, sorry December, nineteen twenty two, where lights. Uh, that were described, which were attributed to ghosts at the time, um, were seen on Burton Dasset Hills. Now, Burton Dasset Hills is in Warwickshire, uh, right in the centre of of England. Uh, it's about um, twenty miles south of Birmingham, about twenty miles north of Oxford, mm-hmm. and and generally, uh, Warwickshire is a flat, rolling, flattish, rolling countryside. Uh, type area so I often describe it like the Shire Mm. out of uh, Middle Earth (laughs) but within that um, our Mordor if you like is a is a series of five hills that reach up on the western side of the county they're not particularly big by um, mountain standards you know it's not that it's not the lakes or Mm. uh, the Cheviots or anything like that in fact they're about 692 feet is probably the, the highest one um, but they're very prominent because everything else is relatively flat. And uh, these five hills have had a history of, uh, in themselves. There was a village up there, the village of Burton Dasset, um, up to the, Medi- the, the Middle Ages. Uh, there's a church there, which I'll, I'll come on to. Um, in more recent times, there was a military base that was, um, suspiciously in my mind, uh, built in 1943, directly opposite um Burton Dasset. Okay. Um so you, you've got this this sort of area, but in 1922, by then it was a recreational area, just like it is now. It's a it's a county park. So people can go up there and spend their summers uh and, and winters walking around it, walking the dog, taking in the sights, etc. Mm. In 1922, it was it was often, you know, the, the a pastime would be to go up into the hills and have have a walk around. But they, they started to get these reports of, uh, by various different um, local residents, really, it started off, of lights were seeing travelling at different speeds, different altitudes um, on the hills and going over the hills and particularly around the church. Uh, and the story starts to grow until it's, it gets national press, local press, press go, Banbury, the Banbury Gazette do a big feature on it and send reporters up to see these lights and then the Birmingham Times, the London Times okay. all start sending reporters to the area to report on these lights which are seen uh, and, and recorded um, and, I, and I detail the reports from the newspapers and from the locals uh, sort of in, in the book um, uh, and the the, 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 the the lights are attributed to ghosts mm. I think completely understandably, because yeah. in 1922, we're still suffering from the First World War. Mm. Uh, Warwickshire has hit as hard as any 
uh, English or British county. Um, whole villages can be, the men fought could be wiped yeah. out in a single battle. Of course. Uh, we, we'd had the Spanish flu, which uh, didn't, did have its effect over here, but not as bad as it did perhaps on the continent. Mm. So a lot of people had lost their mm. loved ones and spiritualism, yeah. which had started off in around about 1867, uh, where I think it was the, the Fox sisters brought it over from America following the civil war. Yeah. Yeah, it, it had it had um it had a, a sort of after the First World War. So yeah. people would attribute these lights to ghosts, despite them not being what you would call traditional ghostly sightings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think people wanted to go up to st- and see these lights as a sort of corroboration for their own spiritualist mm. um, views at that yeah. time. You know, there, there was some hope that if there was ghosts on in Dasset Hills, then there was an afterlife and they would yeah. see their, their sons again. So, blonde, yeah, yeah th- I think that, and that's part of the reason it got the attention it did uh, was because of um, when it when it happened. But, you know, this, this is very early on in, in, in uh, UFO sightings, look, looking back now, um, the, the, of course, they had the Fatima, um, the miracle of Fatima, which some people attribute to UFOs, some people say it was, you know, it was a, it was um, a Christian miracle, but some people attribute it to UFOs, including Eric von Daniken. He talks at length about it. Yeah. Um, and a few other sightings. Had a few sightings in America and a crash ship at Aurora and places like that. But um, this is before there is any aircraft or drones or anything. Well, there, there is aircraft, but it's big, yeah. loudy. And loud biplanes rather than s- small um, lights like this. So, yeah, I, I, and and I guess you know I I found the story initially in a a book entitled "The Ghosts of Warwickshire" by Betty Smith, who's um, quite a famous local historian, mm. uh, and completely understandable why it was portrayed in 1920s and uh, you know later on as ghosts. Mm. But I, I just felt looking back through the prism of what we know about UFOs now or UAPs, to me it was a it, it was a very well recorded, you know, multi witnessed UFO event, mm. uh, and that was certainly the sort of angle I took took in in the book and the conclusion I came to in the book when you when you um, rule out all the other um, theories and hypotheses. Uh, which I have done, and I, and I detail why it couldn't have been many of other things. Then you are left, if you if you trust the reports that all these people have made, then you are left with a UFO event. That's all, really, only only thing it can really be. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if if it had been sort of one or two um, reports, you could probably um, dispel most most theories um, with regards to UAPs or, or UFOs, but. You know, it is interesting that that we're talking a hundred years ago, and obviously, um, man flight was you know, despite the the great leaps forward in technology during the First World War, man flight was still in its infancy. Um, and it is interesting that actually, I mean, I have come across quite a few uh, reports from around about um, the turn of the century and and into the twenties and thirties. Uh, certainly up until the Second World War, where there, there did seem to be a spate of 
um, UFO sightings in different areas of the country. Um, obviously, I'm in the northwest of England, and there were quite a number in the 1920s and the 1930s in this area as well. So perhaps mm. these, you know, perhaps these were sort of like part of a pattern. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, the I guess like like I've done with this, people attributed them to different things at the time. So that we have the the ghost rockets, don't we, around about in the Scandinavian countries around about nineteen thirty odd, which were attributed to uh, Nazi Germany, again right. un understandably. Um, uh, it not wasn't just the northwest in Hull, and I think about nineteen or seven, there was a report of. Um, a, a craft we'd call it now going in and out of the Humber a bright craft going in and out of the Humber and seen by lots of people so yeah there the, the certainly were the reports there uh, happening and in, in some ways you know we need to push back the reports of, of UFO sightings beyond 1947 which tends to get um, or, you know tends to be shown as the starting point yeah. Um, but uh, you know, the, there is a good body of evidence to say it was happening. You know, there was there was regular sightings in that early sort of turn of the twentieth century. Yeah, and I've I've got no doubt that it goes back back in history further than that. As oh, well. yes, yeah, without without a doubt, I would say yeah. without a doubt. And it it's to do with the record keeping, I guess. That's and right. Yeah. As, yeah. as as the record keep the record keeping has got better, then then suddenly, you know, I, in in my view, it's it's not. A, question do ufos exist anymore it, that that's you know you'd like to say that case has been settled it's it now moves on to what are they and, yeah. and why i guess but um exactly yeah yeah i mean there was one there was one in the 16th century in germany i think wasn't that very famous one yeah yeah it was at nuremberg i think that's the one yeah that it just yeah yeah to be mind as you're mentioning that so so yeah i mean going back you know maybe hundreds of years i think it's i think it's really interesting so what um i mean obviously you you did a massive amount of research when when you wrote the first version of the book um but the updated book from from what you're saying is now twice the size of the original one so what sort of um you know new evidence did you find then when when you went looking for it with yeah so the i suppose with the initial encounter in 19 uh, 22 to February 23, um, I managed to get hold of more details of the reports from the paper. So, uh, paper. So originally, I was working with just the Banbury Gazette and a, and a few uh, references uh, to the London Times. But um, I managed to get hold of uh, some more information. A lot came from Dr. David Clark's Spook Lights, which he he which is a really interesting paper written by him and a number of others, which talks about lights generally going around the country and um, the lights that have been seen near churches and uh, will-o'-the-wisps, etc. But he does talk about Burton Dassett in the context of it being a spook light flap, is how he describes it. Right. Uh, and that um, that give give us a lot more, give me a lot more information, and pointed me towards some of the papers that did more uh, sent up reporters. So that the Birmingham Times and London Times um, sent up reporters to see to, to see if they could find these lights, and and very often they did. There's a really good report of a um, uh, a journalist from the London Times who's been sent up, very skeptical. Uh, spends a bit of time in the pub with the locals, waiting to go out just after, just as it's turning dark, 
to see if he can see these lights. And he toops up the up the hill to try and look for the lights. And he's he's sort of saying, well, I'd, I didn't see anything that was that unusual that couldn't be explained. He ends up on Windmill Hill, which is the tallest hill of, of the five. Uh, and he's looking out uh, just as the sun goes down. And he describes how he saw a a um, golden orb drop down from the clouds and illuminate the cloud base. Huh? So you can imagine as it's turning dark and this cloud, this object comes down from the clouds and is so bright to, to, to cast its light onto the bottom of the clouds and then sees it zip off um, at speed to the horizon. The horizon is absolutely amazed uh, as, to, as to what he's seen. And uh, other reporters have come in and they managed to talk to locals that have um, seen the lights and then there's one where I did mention it in the first book a, a man called um, George Cottrell who's a local groom and uh, he sees a light, a uh, bluish light which is near a pond uh, and it's, it freaks out the horse that he's with uh, and this light just seemed to be moving around at speed and, uh, and across the hills. Um, that that was to be later attributed to you know the the, the ufologist nemesis uh, that is uh, marsh gas mm. uh, many years later, but um, you know it, it clearly wasn't marsh gas. But then um, that reporter actually bumps into somebody further down the road that also sees the light, sees the light travelling down North uh, North End Village, and he steps out and he sees this light coming at him. Um, so within an hour or so, you know, maybe less than half a mile away, that George Cottrell account is corroborated by somebody else. So the 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 the, the paper, the um, new information we got, very often corroborated accounts that we knew we uh, we already had. So the um, there was a my favourite account is is the railwayman. Um, who uh, was in a railway um, observation signal box hmm. and uh, he sees an orange orb, perhaps similar to the one that the reporter seen from Windmill Hill, uh, fly, um, fly down and just uh, sort of stop in front of his signal box and he panics and he doesn't know what to do. Um, and um, I'm going to get some more details about that account. And it's a, it's a, the signalman was called uh, W. Corbett. And it says how he he grabs the giant um, spanner that they used for changing the signals back then, and and goes out to um, to confront this craft. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, perhaps for the craft, the craft flew off at that point. But he um, he did ring it through to the there's the nearby station who said ring it through to the police. The police um, sent out um, a vehicle uh, to take it account. I mean, you know, it's. They're, they're really solid accounts these people have seen. And to, for a signal man to do that back then when it's threatening his livelihood, really, huh. um, you know, if, if people had taken it wrong, he would have just been out of a job because he had a very responsible job. But he was willing to put his, you know, livelihood on, on the line. His reputation. Um, reputation on the line as well to, to, to report this. And I, and I think that's partly because there were so many reports around at that time. He, he felt safe enough to do so. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, so we brought in some, so I brought in some more information from that, some more accounts from the paper. We managed to put some more names to people. 
there, there is a, a, a good account, which was, um, it was a lady that worked in the vicarage uh, as a maid. And, and previously, her, her account was that she just um, saw a light. She saw a light as she was walking to work in the vicarage uh, through Burton Dasset. She saw one of these lights, which she describes going hither and thither across the hills. So you, you imagine you go backwards and forwards, yeah. up and down, and it's a light that's moving. Um, but my, I managed to get some more information to, although this lady isn't named, her great-great-granddaughter, a great-granddaughter is, and her, the story was passed down to okay. her uh, firsthand about what she saw. And she states that um, she did see the light going when she was walking to work and went to work as a maid in the vicarage. Uh. But then she had a period of time where she, every time she poked her head out the door to look at it, the light would appear. And um, she would poke her head back in and then she'd try and do it again and she'd poke her head out and the light would appear again. So, you know, th this is, this is in, you know, an intelligent um, yeah, light yeah. form or it's, it's showing some degree of, of intelligence. Uh, so that was really good as well. And it all sorts of, all corroborates, you know, what, what I had detailed first time round. Again, another favourite uh, story of mine is George White and his, and his three friends that go up onto the hill um, with the view of, you know, saying it's a load of nonsense. Mm. And then they see uh, a light go over them. And what George um, says is, George White says is, uh, he felt it go over him. Right. So again, this isn't, this, this is something changing the atmosphere, perhaps giving off downward pressure. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's something tangible. Um, you know, all these things to me say that, you know, that, that this was a UFO, UAP event. Yeah. Rather than something, you know, more more wistful or yeah, 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 yeah natural, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, there's obviously then the more you sort of delved into it, the more um, first-hand uh, accounts you you seem to be finding, and and there does seem to be a lot from uh, there, you know, from from people of, of varied, shall we say, social standing at the time, because obviously. Um, you know, you, you 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 had the maid who who was obviously you know slightly down on the on the the social scale, shall we say, from from the guy who was the the signal man on the railway. So there's mm. quite a quite a cross section of of the population in the area that have seen these things, isn't there? Yeah, there is, and and you know, I I, I think it was probably seen by hundreds of people. But the you know, it was, it was the ones that made it into the papers or made it into local accounts with, with the tip of the iceberg you know people were going up to see these lights just for this short period of time you know it, um you know three three months really mm. um but the yeah i think it was seen by hundreds of people but they they, they you know it was it was lost but for for the national papers to get involved mm. you know the, the the surge of reports must have been such that they felt they needed to send people to it. Yeah, I mean the the guy from the um, from London, the journalist from London. Um, I think I'd quite like to have been a fly on the wall when he got back to got back to his paper <laughs> yes. in London after after his exit. Yeah, because um, I mean I think a lot of a lot of journalists start from a and you know no disrespect to journalists, but they start from a position of uh, looking for any reason to debunk these sort of yeah. Uh, stories and and then obviously if something like that happened to him and it, and it obviously sounded like you know quite a, a 
a dramatic sighting that he had, um, I can just imagine how that must have affected him. Yeah, and I think it was. And, you know, the, again, there wouldn't, back back then, it wasn't just, you know, an hour and 20 minutes up the M40 you oh, know, to, to, get, to get people from London. They, they have to put a lot of effort to get journalists up there to see it. But it is funny you say about how the journalists haven't changed. So when I first released the book on, on Boxing Day, um, the Star ran an article about my book with the headline, uh, UFOlogists believe um, ghosts of World War I soldiers are UFOs, uh. which, which, which wasn't what my intention was at all. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, well, some, some it, things never, some things never change. No, they but, don't. Um, and of course, headlines yeah. like that sell sell papers, don't they? So yeah, they're, they're, it's more likely to get attention. But you know, there there we are. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, but it's a bit unfair, isn't it? Because it's it's not it's not what you found, and it's not it's not what you talk about, is it? So no, no, it, it, no, no, it's not. But, uh, oh, no. yeah, there we are. A <laughs> hundred years on, and and nothing changes, does it? So. No, 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 that's right. Yeah. I suppose right, you say right, anything but... about politicians as well, but we won't. We won't. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. So, um, so, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, then, that it, it, it was over such a short period of time. It, it was only over, what, about three months. Um, and I, I assume that it, it started abruptly, and uh, abruptly, sorry, and finished, ended abruptly. I mean, is is there any any indication at all as, as to why it was just this three-month period? No, no, there isn't. I mean, I, I guess if we knew the reason why the lights were there, that 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 would help us. Uh, but it, yeah, it's it stopped by end of February, nineteen twenty-three. After that, w- strangely, there was an earthquake. Okay. Now I know I know um, Warwickshire might might not say, might seem a funny place for earthquakes, but uh, I remember two thousand two when we we just moved uh, up into the area. Uh, there was an earthquake where where we lived, which was I don't know maybe ten miles away from Burton Dasset itself. So, Warwickshire does get the occasional earthquake, but they are few and far between. But I think it was around March uh, or April nineteen twenty three that the area did did suffer an earthquake or be, be subject to an earthquake. So that maybe feeds in to the the earth light. Um, spook light type theory of what these lights were, mm. um, but I, you know, I have I have uh, discounted that because the Earth lights, like the ones in the normal the Hasselden lights in Norway, etc., oh. you know, they have been videoed and they're you know they're quite short lived really and and don't seem to be acting with any purpose. Whereas the descriptions we get from the the lights of Burton Dasset do seem to have some sort of purpose to them mm. uh, and um yeah i mean I, again I, I i like to think of them as one of two things either probes that have that have come down and looking at the area because the area has some geological interest to them or intelligent life forms which i know um is the term uh, paul sinclair coined for his sightings out on the northeast coast and and the intelligent life form uh, hypothesis, I, I do think, fits a lot. Mm. And I, I describe, uh, I go into, in the book, um, some accounts of um, commercial pilots who have seen and had real interactions with um, intelligence life forms. And 
you know, the more I read, the more we research about them, that that does seem to be um, uh, more likely, I think, than perhaps mechanical nuts and bolts craft. I, I, I do think there is something in this intelligent life form. So phenomena. it's almost a, a sort of um, uh, entity in itself rather than um, rather than something mechanical, as you said. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I was, I was very much in the nuts and bolts camp, and mm. the, the, these uh, light objects being extraterrestrial origin. I guess I've, I've moved somewhat more towards interdimensional um, origins, or certainly that is a possibility. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, because the intelligent light form phenomena, it, it they do seem to be, you know, for want of a better word, creatures in their own right with their own intelligence that can appear and disappear, move, search for things, have you know, and again, I, I give a description of in the book of how one of these light lights illuminated a house as if looking for something, mm. um, and it was and the person in the house described it as enough to read by wow okay yeah so so there is something in that and um it's very yeah, so I, world isn't it <laughs> yeah it does yeah a little bit um, sort of spine tingling uh, tingling real isn't it yeah it, it is i mean you know what what were they doing but yeah so i i i managed to find just through my research of intelligent life forms i i found a really interesting story of a commercial pilot that um, whilst on a um, a, a, a flight um, between uh, Germany and uh, England, uh, had a sighting. Him and his co-pilot had a sighting of of two intelligence life forms. And then I don't want to spoil it for uh, the people that um, want to buy the book, but um, basically he has an amazing experience interaction with that light form that, that goes on for for a period of time afterwards and uh yeah quite a remarkable story which you know has never been published before so yeah that that is in the book as well which i'm i'm really pleased about so can i can i just tease a little bit out of you i don't i don't want you to to go into it <laughs> too much because it'll it'll deter people from buying the book and i'm all for for you know fellow authors <laughs> yeah. well he, he yeah so he he was he was on a flight and he saw yeah. he saw a light very similar to what was described in in burton dassett in 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 that time 1922 1923 and he's he's flying a cargo plane actually and um he sees two lights coming towards him green lights and he knows they're not aircraft lights because they're on the wrong side Right. So in order for them to be at the side he's seeing him, it means the plane's flying black backwards. Right. And he wakes up his co-pilot and these two lights approach him at speed. And one goes above um, the plane and one goes underneath the plane. And the one above, he manages to see fly off. Mm. The one that goes underneath, he loses track of. I'm not sure where that went, but... The, there is a remarkable story of, of what he says happened to him after that, after he saw that light. And it's interesting you mention about um, 
the geology as well, just going back to um to the area uh, around where all these these lights were were being seen. Um because I agree that there is there is something to do with with geology um with a lot of these re uh, repeated sightings and areas where there are a number of sightings. And I just thought it was interesting that you mentioned that there was a, a, an earthquake shortly afterwards. And I wonder if there's a correlation between between the the, the two things. Yeah, I'm, I, I, it it would certainly lend itself um, to that if 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 you go down the the earth light theory, and and also we have the roll right stones, which are ten miles sort of due northeast of um, uh, Burton Dasset. Now the roll right stones are an ancient monument date from something around the time of Stonehenge, so 2500 BC, something like that. Um, and they're, they're, they're a ring of, of stones that um, are only a sort of knee high. Mm. Um, some are a bit bigger than that, but they, they go from knee high up to maybe chest head height. And the interesting thing about that is, uh, the, so the legend goes, is no matter how many times you count them, um, you never get the same number twice. When I've tried that, and it does work. Um, so there's somewhere, even in the guidebooks, they say there's somewhere between 79 to 85 stones okay. because no one's ever really got to the bottom of how many there is. <laughs> That's interesting. But that, that, yeah, but that, that has been an area of reporting of uh, light, blue lights, earth lights being seen there. So they're, they're not too far away. And the the ground of Burton Dasset is built on an iron ore sort of iron ore rock mm. foundation and and so much so it was used for mining in the in um sort of uh, dark ages right. and the um for, for getting mine out so when you go to the park there is lots of scoops out of the ground mm. um which are open cast small open cast mines right, yeah. which probably date from the from the dark ages and so right up until 1919 uh, so during the first world war there was a railway line um that went up to the top of the hills because it was used for mining and the iron ore was being taken out for the, the first world war so the geology of the um of the area is important and again um this this may be out at left field but i did feel it was important to include it in the book is because you've you've got these three main hills that are on the west side of the park, and they they very much match up with Orion's Belt. So they have that two parallel and one slightly off um, formation. Uh, and you you know I've I've done it myself. You go up there in February, um, and Ryan, Orion as the constellation. And the, it looks like Orion is stood on the hills, and right. Orion's belt correlates to the hills um, below it, sort of thing. Which, I, which again, I find fascinating. Mm. And it, uh, it was one of those things uh, with all of Burton Dasset. If it was just one thing on its own, mm. then you would probably discount it. But it, it has all, all these factors: these sightings, the church, the military base, the. Um, uh, links to um orion the 
witchcraft and all these sort of things, all in the sort of same area. So, um, yeah, so just going back to your point, Craig, you, it, it, is, and it is one of the reasons that it could be these type of earth lights. But the witness reports, <clears throat> the witness reports that we, we have gathered do say that the lights have, do seem to have a purpose. They, you know, interact with people. They're scanning the area. They're um, moving in purposely as if searching for something. So I, I don't think they are the earth lights, but I can completely understand why people would think that. And I, I suppose with all these things, you know, the, the book is there, the information is there. People will make their own uh, their own minds up as to, as to what it was. Yeah, no, it's it it is interesting. There's there's obviously a lot of different factors, isn't there? It's one of those areas that that there seem to be a lot of a lot of different um, different factors that all sort of come together. That that you can you can sort of see why it would be an area of of um, uh, you know high instances of of, of these strange uh, strange types of phenomena. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, you know, the, the, so I mentioned. Within the book, we do have these areas. Pendle is one. Uh, Rendlesham Forest is another. And you, you and you, you t just in the UK, that is, you know, and you, and you tend to find that these areas have a depth of high strangeness. That's right. Going back, going back a, a long time, and that has something to do with it. And you know, a lot of people that know the subject far better than me would say that they are all connected, even as far as you know dogmen and werewolves and, and and various different sightings all seem to be connected around these areas. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I have primarily con concentrated on the ufology angle. Yeah. Um, I do drift a bit into in, into witchcraft, but it generally it, it, it's, I, I, that's what I'm looking at. But I have no doubt there is many there is many strange things that happen in, I mean, Burton Dasset Country Park, it's it's quite small, you know, it's maybe mile and a half by mile and a half. It's not a big area and you can walk around it in a in an afternoon or a morning. So it's quite, quite, uh, but it has all these sort of areas within it. It's quite concentrated then. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very concentrated. You drive, you drive up to it. It's a very steep drive up to it. And then you're on the sort of plateau with the, with the five hills there. Uh, there's a wood at the back of it. The, the church is down a sort of uh, a side lane, and you can pass between North End and Fenny Compton, the two villages. Uh, and a lot of people have said to me, "Oh, they've, they've bought the book and then gone to the area mm. and used the book as a bit of a guidebook," which I think is a is a great thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned witchcraft, um, which is a uh, a subject that I'm quite interested in, um, obviously because of because of where I live. Um, I mean, is, is there a history of witchcraft in the area? Do you think? Do you think that might have anything to do with with historical sightings? I'm not sure about the sightings, but um, there was witchcraft connected with the area, definitely. So this, what sparked my interest on the witchcraft is uh, um, one of the updates. So there's a number of new updates of my own personal experiences in the area, uh, in the new book, and. Um, we were. I was taking. A, I do tours sometimes, so people can can contact me on on my email, and um, and I and I'll take them and I'll take them for a walk around the area and show them the area and explain the story. And um, a couple of fellow authors actually came up to to see me, and we had to walk around the area, and we walked into Fox Cover Wood, um, which is which is a small wood at the on the eastern side, back of the 
um, hills really. And there is a there is a clearing which is about halfway around a path which takes you around the wood, which I have um, done a bit of wild camping there before, and it is it is a perfect area uh, for that sort of thing. But it was always clear clear before, and it was un unspoilt. But this time, when we walked in there, so this would have been about uh, May two thousand and twenty two. Um, when we walked in, as you approach the area, a, a pentagram had been um, sp sprayed, it looked like, with white spray uh, onto, the, onto a tree as you approached it uh, in a circle. And on one side of the tree on the floor, there was a dotted line and the other one there was a solid, li solid line. So it was clearly an entrance into an area. Mm. So we, you walk through the dotted line and there's a sort of loosely marked out path and it took you into this sort of natural cathedral, natural arena, really, where there was a tree in the center. Again, it had the Pentagon symbol sprayed on. And then uh, another symbol, um, which was a bit like an hourglass type single, uh, symbol and triangles. And then on the trees, there were strange symbols or letters and numbers or letters and numbers mm. all in a circle. And it was immaculate. It had been cleared out. There's no rubbish there or anything. And then every so often there was these um, little constructions of branches where I would say two people could sit in with evidence that fires have been lit there. So I, I walked around and took photos of it all and I, and I put some photos into the book. Uh, and it really sort of piqued me interest as to, well, the fact that it was happening modern day and, and, and what it all meant. So... Um, I, I carried out a bit of research. I thought, who's going to know about this? Well, a witch <laughs> will know about it, possibly, if it's a uh, Wiccan or Pagan. Mm. Um, it, it said, I was happy that it wasn't satanic because mm. of the little I knew, the way the pentagrams were. They had the star at the top rather than the two stars either side, which is supposed to look like a goat and symbolise the devil. So I was happy it, it, was, a, it was a pentagon uh, and, a, and a Wicca uh, or Pagan area rather than a satanic area so i thought well i'll need to speak to somebody that does deal do witchcraft so i managed to find um a lady in glastonbury um and uh, she told me what it what it was and what all the symbols meant and what her theory was around it and uh she the, 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 i think the thing she was she was in one way pleased to see it and she gave an explanation, which I detailed in the book, of what it might be all about. Mm. But what she was a bit dismayed at was the fact that what should have been used to mark out these areas was ash rather than spray paint. So right. that gave her a clue as to who she thought had done it. But it, it was really interesting. And then, and then from there, I looked back in, looked back in the area, and there, there had been a couple of satanic murders. And the, and the reason why they were classed as satanic murders uh be because there was there was a there was a murder just after the war where um, a, a normal uh perhaps well-to-do you know mild-mannered um man had had gone a bit um uh awry and uh killed a, a random woman in the street with a pitchfork okay so the, the pit the pitch the death by a pitchfork is traditionally the a way that you would you could kill a witch 
I suppose. Oh, okay, I've never heard that one. So. Yeah, this is this is what I'd come across as well. And then that was just before the war. And then round about, I think it was 1903 or something like that, a police constable in the kit was, was supposed to be patrolling the Lion Pub in Fenny Compton, disappeared from his beat, but was found in the Oxford Canal a couple of days later. Uh, and he'd been killed with a pitchfork. Oh. Uh, and, and they were never found anybody for that murder. So, yeah, so that there is, uh, and again, I'll go into more details within the book, but there, there is these these two satanic murders uh, that were in, in that area. So they, dating back to the turn of the 20th century again, but no doubt, no doubt going back a lot further. And when you look at the map, it, what's what's remarkable to me is the area where this uh, pagan wicker site is mm. is exactly mirror, mirror image of where All Saints Church is, just the other side oh. of the park. Um, so it's almost as if it's been chosen out because it, you know, it 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 it's the opposite mm. uh, of of the Christian church. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I mean, you you mentioned the last time we spoke about the Christian church. I mean, just just. There's, there's, that's that's quite an interesting building in itself, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So All Saints Church is sometimes called the Cathedral of the Cotswolds. Um, started off as a Saxon nave, um, but in the in the eighth uh, um, ninth century, um, was recorded in the Doomsday Book following the Norman Conquest, which I think Doomsday Book was ten eighty seven uh, as a Saxon nave, but. Um, Around about the 14th century, it receives a big uplift in, in cash, probably Templar cash. And the Knights Templar were based at, um, there was a, uh, they had a base at um, Temple Hedwick, which is directly opposite and more or less underneath now the military base of MOD Kyneton. Uh, but they, it did have a big uplift in money, uh, the church. And within the church, it also had these paintings um which are initially as you walk into the church uh, there is paintings of um the virgin mary and saint michael above the eastern uh, sort of side of the church and they're, they're fantastic in their own right you know more than life size uh, and then on the left hand side of the wall there is uh, pictures of a what's described as a gargoyle or an angel type character it doesn't look like either <laughs> to be honest um but it was a strange there's a strange character that's drawn on the wall and then there's two kings uh, and there's different there's different stories uh, around that but one king is holding is is holding a head uh, and that's believed to be the the official literature if you like would, would say that these paintings of 14th century paintings of 9th century kings and that and that king his old his old head is is King Ethelbert, who was beheaded in Winchester, not too far away. Uh, and then another another king, which the church would say is is a magi, so one of the three wise men, mm. because he is he is holding a bottle in his left hand up into the air. Now that bottle to me looks like a child's top. Uh, it's got undulating lines on it, perhaps to give the um, appearance that it is spinning. But the, the, the real eureka moment for me was when I, when I first saw that painting of the, the king with this, with this um, 
orb or bottle on his hand is that the the bottle is 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 not resting on his hand it's floating about two or three centimeters two or three inches sorry above his hand it's been deliberately portrayed as floating so it's a revolving orb floating in the air and when you, again when you look at everything else that's going on at Burton Dassett you know my, my view is that is maybe depicting a UAP an, un, an unidentified flying object that was seen perhaps in the ninth century by a local king and they wanted to claim the kudos of it claim control of it yeah 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 um but again the, the, the pictures are, are in the book and I would just ask anyone to have a look and, and see what you think. I mean, there has been some erosion, either deliberately, because I'll, I'll be honest, the church hasn't been in, either in 2019 or when I when I updated the book, they, they haven't been that forthcoming, um, which is a bit of a shame, really. But uh, so it's either they have this erosion between the hand and the bottle of the bottom of the, the object. Mm. But it's, you can clearly see that the hand uh, is, you know, two, three inches below yeah. Yeah. this floating orb. So um, yeah, the, the, the church is, is interesting in itself, but the, the, I, I wonder if these paintings are telling us another story. And as well as that, we have unusual carvings um, on one side of the church and north side of the, the church, which does face Burton Dasset, which is traditionally the evil side of a church, so gargoyles, etc., would be put on that side. So there's, there's none on the other side, but on the north side of the church, there's these fantastic carvings mm. which depict the green man which is often associated with two uh, worlds uh, generally christianity and, and uh, paganism joining together uh, but strange animals half lizard half men uh, type animals half dragon half uh, men animals and two uh, creatures which are upside down so where you've normally got the the, the their feet are on the bottom two creatures are actually upside down as if perhaps floating up in the air mm. you know so um, the um the, the carvings and the paintings i think are key to, mm. the, to the mystery of burton dassett really yeah i mean the the the, the imagery that that sort of you know coming into into my mind as you're explaining them I, I think it's quite interesting um especially the holding the 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 floating the floating orb or or whatever it was, I think it's really interesting. And and then you have to wonder, you know, where, where they were getting the ideas for, for these uh, sort of quite fantastical creatures from as well. I mean, you know, did, did yeah. people see these these things? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, we, we, we don't know. I mean, the carvings of 14th century as well, and the other churches, cathedrals, have carvings without without a doubt. But I think the, the ones here are just a strange collection. There's a lot of strange carvings as mm. opposed to your traditional angel heads and yeah. people's heads, etc. Yeah. Um, you know, there there is these strange animals. I mean, the 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 green man depicted isn't that common in in um, Christian churches either. No, it's um, a pagan thing, isn't it? Really? Yes, gen it's generally a, a pagan thing. But it was often like a lot of things that the Christianity did was was trying to supersede um paganism pagan festivals etc with, with this sort of christian dogma yeah um so the pagan was i said the, the, the green man was often used as the joining together of paganism and christianity um but it's still quite rare and then you you've got these i mean if you look down i think there was seven or eight columns every single one has got something really unusual and interesting about it 
Yeah, I, I, I think it sounds like, the, you know, the church itself is worth a visit, let alone let alone the area. Um, and, and also, I mean, I, I wonder from, from what you just said there, whether there was some sort of, you know, equally um, unexplainable event that perhaps happened, happened back in the Dark Ages in the 13th or 14th century, you know, that, that sort of prompted this um, almost like a, a, a visual record um in the church of of what people may have seen because obviously they will have automatically linked anything strange that they saw to, to something um you know that, that 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 was that was maybe you know created by god or you know some sort mm -hmm. of vision vision of of god or from god or something like that so if if there were strange things going on at, at that time in history then that's how they'd interpret it wouldn't, wouldn't it yeah, I, I think, and, and the fact that these paintings survived as well. So, mm. my understanding was, and, I, and I'm, I'm certainly no expert in you know medley, medieval paintings in churches, but my understanding is a lot of them were whitewashed over because of when the Puritans came in and because of yeah. the Reformation yeah, as yeah. well. But but they, these seem to have survived. You know, they they haven't been whitewashed over. People seem to have known instinctively that they're special, mm. and they they needed to be preserved and seen. Yeah. Um, so I I do think it's just more than decoration. I do think that those pictures are telling us um, a story, maybe about the um, UFOs. Other people would say that because they were probably created and paid for by the Knights Templar, are they depicting you know the head of John the Baptist and the Holy Grail? Um, I, I don't know, but people have put them theories forward. Uh, and I, again, I discussed them in, in the book as to various different theories around the paintings, but. For me, when you take it into context and put it alongside the, the, the military bases and, and the sightings of 1922, 23, uh, I, I think it, it's, it is showing, it is depicting, or certainly the Magi figure is, de is depicting an object that was seen floating, flying around the area. Well, it, it's, it's an amazing story. Um, it really is. And it's, you've done some amazing research as well. And I think... I think it's great how it all it, it all obviously comes together. It all obviously locks together and and suggests that something is going on that that we've we've not quite got that understanding for in in you know in in that that relatively small area, isn't it as well? Which is quite interesting. Um, so so yeah, it's it's I I think it's a fascinating um, bit of research. You mentioned the books on uh, on Amazon. Yeah, it's on Amazon Kindle and Amazon as a paperback. Um, the paperback, I'm very proud. I was very keen with the paperback this time to have colour photos because I really think it shows the details of the paintings and the, and the carving. So uh, um, we've, we've got colour photos in this time. Yeah, avail available on, on Amazon. And uh, yeah, I hope people enjoy it and, um, you know, make their own mind up. That's what I'm all about. I've, I've put one theory for people i'm more than willing to listen to people who disagree with me and you know contact me if there's any points you want to make uh, you know all adds to the story really yeah what's what's your contact details if people want to get in contact with you so it, yeah so my uh, email is uh, richard rokeby uh, rokeby is r-o-k-e-b-y at yahoo.com Okay, excellent. Well, it's been uh, it's been really interesting talking to you again. I, I think it's a fascinating subjects. I really do. There's there's lots of lots of things in there. I think that are quite thought provoking. Um, yeah, I, I just uh, hope people buy the book because uh, it's obviously been very well researched and and put together. 
um, and good luck for any any future projects that that you've um, you've got on the go. Um, anything yeah. anything in the pipeline? Well, so yeah. Well, firstly, Craig, thanks uh, for having me on. I, oh, I always well. enjoyed the show, oh, and my, um, my pleasure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I uh, really, really enjoyed our chat. Um, I, I, I still have uh, a couple of ideas to, to, to research uh, um, the, the, the German flying saucer, Nazi flying saucer, Hitler's flying saucer, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that is that is a rabbit hole that you, you disappear down and is, and is very dark. But I, I do feel that, you know, that we've got to separate fact from fiction with, with that, with those accounts, you know, did. Did the Third Reich manage to get a flying saucer with anti-gravity technology um, flying? And if so, how and, and why? And what happened to that technology? Mm. I think it's a fantastic story, but it, it is a huge piece of work. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm still chipping away at that. And then, uh, and then the, the other thing is my interest in remote viewing. I'm still uh, working away at that. And uh, again, that that's to do with the cold war and remote viewing how that's going forward is that still in use now um so yeah i have a, i have a couple of projects that, that that keep me busy well we'll look forward to uh to seeing the fruits of your labors on those two thanks uh thanks again for coming on the podcast it's been an absolute pleasure it's uh it's always great to speak to you richard take care um and we won't mention the c word but but have a great have a, <laughs> have, have a great time anyway yes yeah yeah for for the uh holiday period <laughs> that's, that's the one that's the one thank thanks you very again. much Craig. Yeah, no, thank you Craig. that's great no worries take care thank you you can visit my website at www.craigbryant.co.uk paranormal pendle will return and remember to keep watching the shadows